Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at bite.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to it. I'm John Fugle saying happy Thursday to you. Whew. Happy Holy Thursday. We are at 866-997-4748. This is Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progress 127. Featuring Chris Hauselt as executive producer. Thea Harper is producing this show out of Brooklyn. I come to you from Manhattan and we're so glad to have you with us tonight. There's a lot to get to. Has this week just taken a lot out of you? I mean, my God, there was a full moon this week, and it's just been nothing but nonstop madness. We've seen it in our politics. Maybe you've seen it in your life and in the world. We're certainly seeing it on the news tonight. And for the next three hours, we are going to talk to some of our favorite, smart, and fun friends to make sense of it. Professor Corey Brettschneider will be here to talk all about uh, the first indictment of a president this week, as well as Tennessee. Uh, Dr. Jason Nichols of the University of Maryland is with us tonight to talk about the University of Tennessee. Uh, our good friend Keith Price is here to make fun of everything. Thea is here with another installment of The Minority Report. And as always, our most important guest is you guys. 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Tomorrow night, we're going to have a very special show. It's going to be an Easter basket with some of our best interviews of the last couple of weeks, including Katie Sackoff of The Mandalorian, F. Murray Abraham, uh, Tara Wilkinson-Ryan, Sally Cohn, Ernie Hudson of Ghostbusters, and Graham Nash. A really, really great show for you tomorrow. Chris put together a wonderful show. And um, in the meantime, let's talk about tonight, shall we? Let's do a show. So gun violence in a Tennessee Christian school kills six people. The U.S. Republican Party does nothing and scapegoats all transgender people. Uh, the Tennessee Republican legislature does nothing and ejects two black representatives who protested all these Tennessee deaths by gun violence. And by the way, they began the process of ejecting these representatives on the anniversary of Martin Luther King 
being murdered in Tennessee by gun violence. And tonight, well, I think Keith Boykin put it best. After today's Tennessee House vote, the Republican Party is now on record of favoring the expulsion of elected officials if they engage in peaceful speech to stand up for the lives of school children, but not if they incite a violent insurrection against the federal government. More on that in a moment. Right now, it's a rare time when Ramadan, Passover, and Easter are intersecting all at the same time. Uh, everyone here at Progress and our show wishes everyone of every faith a wonderful holiday. Atheist friends, I hope you get some time off. Um, we are recording and broadcasting live on Holy Thursday of Holy Week. This is the night in the Christian faith where Jesus and his disciples celebrated Passover because they were all Jews and they transformed it into what is now celebrated as a, a communion. Now, Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day Jesus shows up in Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and the crowd greets him with cries, Hosanna, Hosanna. They, they put palms on the road because they believed he was their political savior. They were waiting for a political savior to rescue them from the subjugation they felt living under occupation by the Roman Empire. And they're celebrating and cheering Jesus on a Sunday. By Friday, they want him dead. That's the story. <laughs> That's It's a pretty complicated one. And when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, he immediately, the next day, challenges religious authority. He goes into the temple and he turns over the tables of all the corrupt money changers who are exploiting the poor, who he says have made the temple into a den of thieves. Monday, he drives the wealthy capitalists out of the temple because they don't take care of the poor. So by Tuesday, the religious bosses are trying to trap him. By Wednesday, the conservative religious bosses are scheming his arrest. By Thursday, they have him arrested and they put him on trial. And on Friday, he is executed by the state. It's a pretty bleak week that we call Holy Week. They accuse him of blasphemy. The Roman leaders charge him with treason, a very political crime. And an innocent, non-white man endures arrest, incarceration, sham trials, and torture before being executed by the state. And here, here's what, why it means a lot to me. Uh, and I'm not going to make this too much about talking tabernacles here. But through all of this, Jesus, the character in the book, whether you believe he's the divine son of God or a myth or just a real-life mystic who was executed by the government, through all of this, Jesus never tries to defend himself. He never rallies his followers to commit violence against his opponents. When Peter tries to have a violent revolt, Jesus stops him. And he never seeks revenge. He's sold out by all of his friends. I mean, everyone. The, the whole point of the story is that everyone kills Jesus, right? I mean, we were raised in a world that taught us the Jews killed Jesus. In reality, it was the conservative religious bosses of his day, but they'll say the Jews. The people who don't like Jewish folks ignore that Jesus himself was Jewish, and they try to get you to hate Jesus' religion because Jesus' religion killed Jesus. I know, they're idiots. They're bigots. Hate makes you stupid. You understand. To me, as a kid, what, what, what grabbed me about the story was everybody kills Jesus. The government, the religious bosses, the military and cops, the townspeople who welcomed him with open arms on Sunday were cheering for his death five days later. His own friends sell him out. His own friends deny they even know who he is. The only people who don't abandon Jesus are the women. And the women are the first people Jesus appears to when he comes back at the end of the story. But that's a whole other point. Jesus never seeks revenge. He forgives everyone 
including the people who sold him out. He gave himself up and endured death on the cross, and in the process, he becomes this literal for some, metaphorical for others, embodiment of selfless and sacrificial love. Donald Trump fucked a porn star, and then he covered it up to cheat in an election, and he tried to write it off on his taxes. And he did this when he wasn't stealing classified documents or sexually assaulting advice columnists or blackmailing Zelensky to cheat in the 2020 election or strong-arming the Georgia Republican Secretary of State in a recorded phone call to cheat in the 2020 election or inciting violent terrorism against our government to cheat in the 2020 election. But a whole lot of Donald Trump's winged monkeys have hijacked Holy Week, comparing this criminal reality show landlord thug and the first criminal indictment of a former president to the passion of Jesus. Uh, Noted fake Christian Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has bragged she's a Christian nationalist because she doesn't know what either of those words actually mean. She compared Donald Trump's arrest and arraignment on charges related to hush money payments to a porn star that he lied about to cheat in an election and write off on his taxes. She compared him to both Nelson Mandela and Jesus. Please remember, the conservatives of our country at the time were not protesting Nelson Mandela's incarceration, and they called him a communist. Um, Conservative lawyer Joseph McBride tweeted the other day, Donald Trump has been indicted days before Palm Sunday. The same people trying to crucify him want me to stop comparing his suffering to the suffering of Jesus Christ. Not going to happen. The similarities are glaring. Okay, the only similarities Donald Trump has with Jesus are they both uh, hung out with prostitutes and they both used ghostwriters. And that's it. Now, some of you are going to be seeing family this weekend, and some of those family will be people who call themselves Christian. And some of those people will be people who call themselves Christian and are talking about how Donald Trump is just like Jesus. So, you know, look, you can avoid it or you can engage by just asking, well, how is Donald Trump like Jesus? Does Donald Trump call on us to love our enemies, to care for the least of us, to care for the sick, for the society, to take care of the poor? Does Donald Trump command we welcome the stranger? Do we stop executing people? that we care for those who are in prison, that does Donald Trump say we should pay our taxes and forgive debts? Does Donald Trump reject revenge and retribution? No. Donald Trump and support of him is the opposite of everything Holy Week is supposed to be about. So if you have to deal with your loved ones this weekend who are in a Trump Christian cult, stand firm, don't hate, wish them peace and forgive them. And I know, in spite of all the good things that happened this week, and there were good things this week, Trump's indictment was historic. Chicago got a liberal mayor. Wisconsin got a liberal Supreme Court. It still seems so dark. It's this, what Chris calls this avalanche of authoritarianism in state legislatures. I mean, it's really scary. Like, I, do we still go to Florida and Texas and Tennessee and Kansas? I mean, Texas is trying to ban diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Florida's trying to ban abortions at six weeks. Kansas just passed a new anti-LGBTQ law that allows for forced genital inspections of children in order for them to play sports. You understand that? Republicans think it's such a crisis of transgender children playing sports. They passed a law to allow genital inspections if someone challenges a child's gender on a school team for sports. There are 109,402 students registered in Kansas school activities. 109,402. Of those 109,402, a total of two identify as transgender. And now they pass this law 
saying, sorry, kid, you want to play sports? You got to lower your underwear and I have to look at your genitals so we can make sure you're not creepy. And then there's Tennessee. Friends, let's talk about it. Last week, a Texas resident that never should have been allowed to own a bunch of guns slaughtered six innocent people in a Christian school. Three of them were nine years old. And the Republican Party at large, again, it's a gun massacre. We have to do nothing. So let's scapegoat all the trans people. And the Republican legislature of Tennessee said, oh, a gun massacre, we have to do nothing. But let's, let's try to throw out the three Democrats who took part in a gun safety protest. And today, Tennessee Republicans voted to expel two black freshman lawmakers, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, for speaking out about gun safety. They did not remove the third lawmaker they tried to get rid of, Gloria Johnson, who is white and was participating in the same demonstration on the House floor last week. Again, they tried to get rid of three of them, but Gloria Johnson survived by one vote. Someone thought, oh, no, the white one's okay. The two black ones thrown out. And as awful as it is, it might be the best possible outcome because they have started something they can't finish. Here is Representative Justin Jones reacting seconds after his expulsion from the Tennessee House of Representatives. You said today that this doesn't seem like America to you. Now, this does not seem like America. To expel voices of opposition and dissent um, is a signal of authoritarianism, and it is very dangerous. And I hope that as a nation watches that, that we... That we this, this light on Tennessee to say that this should sound the alarm across a nation that we're entering into very dangerous territory. You've... I mean, how sick are you of this older generation just refusing to get rid of assault weapons that are slaughtering our loved ones, our neighbors? I mean, how tired of you are you of these pro-life people who want to make it really easy for mentally ill folks to get their hands on weapons designed to kill lots of humans really fast? Tennessee Republicans gerrymandered themselves into a supermajority. They refused to do a goddamn thing about guns after children were massacred by a war weapon. And then, with their supermajority, they tried to expel three Democrats, succeeding with two, for joining with protesters to protect children. They didn't have to do this. They have a supermajority. These two young men were powerless. They did it anyway. They protested in favor of gun control, and Tennessee Republicans expelled them. They protested so children won't get cut in half in school anymore. And the Tennessee House Republicans kicked them out. They protested for life, and Tennessee Republicans expelled them. And my God, the racism is so out in the open. I'm kind of glad they didn't get rid of the white lady. Honestly, <sighs> they shouldn't have gotten rid of any of them. But the fact that they voted out the two black men, but not the white lady, it's going to remove a lot of doubt for a lot of people. Here's the, uh, the sound of the youth protest. In other words, tomorrow's voters at the Tennessee Capitol in Nashville. Now, again, you know, they could hear that inside. And this seems to be the Republicans' plot. They're having such a hard time getting young people to vote for the party. Their plan is to completely disgust young people with Roe v. Wade or with their trans bigotry or with their indifference to slaughter by guns or with their opposition to having some student loan interest payments taken away 
<laughs> Why would a young person who cares about other people support the modern version of the Republican Party? Serious question. And any Republicans listening are welcome to call. Any Republicans listening who still want to pretend your party has a goddamn thing to do with Christianity, I'd love to talk to you. 866-997-4748, five nights a week. But here's the danger. It's not just these right-wingers expelling these Democrats because they wanted accountability. They wanted action on gun violence. The really scary thing about what we're witnessing in Tennessee tonight is if this sort of thing happens and they can get away with it, you can start watching Republicans in legislatures in other red states to do exactly the same thing. This is how fascism grows. This is how a single party rule gets there. Tennessee's a test. This is the next phase of their war, right? They're going to start expelling more Democrats all over the place. Get used to it. Get prepared for it. And Democrats will either let them or they'll, or they'll punish them or they'll beg them. We don't know. But here's the deal. The Republicans are going to keep on doing this and they won't stop until they are stopped. And the only way I can see that we can stop them is the ballot box. High turnout. All the women, all the young people, all the disgusted minorities, all the people of faith who've actually read the damn Bible. Here's Representative Justin Jones again speaking to the Tennessee House before the successful vote for his expulsion. Day for Tennessee because it was signal to the nation that there is no democracy in this state. It will signal to the nation that if it can happen here in Tennessee, it's coming to your state next. And that is why the nation is watching us, what we do here. My prayer to you is that even if you expel me, that you still act to address the crisis of mass shootings. Because if I'm expelled from here, I'll be back out there with the people every week demanding that you act. If you expel me, I'll continue to show up because this issue is too important. I talked to many, too, too many students and mothers in tears this week who said, thank you for doing something. And so if you expel me, I recognize that it's not just about expelling me, but it's about expelling the people. But your action will do the exact opposite. It will galvanize them to see what is happening in the state requires sustained action. And so I hope that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, regardless of what you decide to do to me, because this is not about me, but this is about those young people who are asking us to use our position and to uphold our oath, to protest and dissent from any action or legislation that is injurious to the people. People will remember these two young politicians. They will not remember the mediocrities who silenced them. Thank you, you soulless, indifferent, do-nothing, fake, Christian, racist, Tennessee Republican legislators for making these young men superstars. Because we never remember the people who try to stop progress. No one remembers the people who tried to stop Galileo. No one remembers the name of the guy who killed Medgar Evers. Very few remember the name of the guy who killed Martin Luther King with a gun in Tennessee. They remember the names of those who changed. They don't remember the names of the people who tried to stop the change. And because it is on the verge of Good Friday, I got to say, there's still some good news and there's so much of it. We've seen so much good news this week. There's so much reason to hope and not give up. And I think hope is one of the most logical choices a human can make. We just saw 30 groups of Catholic nuns 
More than 6,000 people over 18 states sign on to a statement celebrating Trans Day of Visibility and calling for people to resist anti-transgender laws in their states. It's incredible. As the child of an ex-nun, it's just stunning because most of the nuns I knew really walked the walk. The statement reads, as members of the body of Christ, we cannot be whole without the full inclusion of transgender, non-binary, and gender-expansive individuals. May we act to transform our hearts, our church, our politics, and our country to ensure that the dignity of our trans, non-binary, and gender-expansive siblings are acknowledged, boldly accepted, and celebrated. They encouraged everyone in the statement to learn about the status of anti-LGBTQ laws in their state. And they said, and this is, this, is, this is Christianity, we will remain oppressors until we, as vowed Catholic religious, acknowledge the existence of LGBTQ plus people in our own congregations. We seek to cultivate a faith community where all, especially our transgender, non-binary, and gender-expansive siblings, experience a deep belonging. Friends of any of these Republicans were actually Christian. They'd be saying to trans people, how can I help you? How can I be on the side that's not cruel to you? How can I make your journey easier? How can I make it easier for all Americans to not have to worry about getting slaughtered by a weapon of war, easily purchased by an unstable civilian? They're not Christians. It's a drag show, and there's no greater drag than people who play Christian dress up. Friends, the fascists and the bigots and their brainwashed forces of authoritarianism, they're, they're trying to make you crazy. That's how gaslighting works. And they'll succeed in many of their efforts, but they want you to despair. They want you to quit. But when they do it, that's when we've got to rise. That's the story of Easter. You don't need to believe in it as literal fact or divinity or any of that stuff. Just the story of Easter itself. It's the story of springtime. There's love and then what happens in the story of Easter? That love is met with suffering and pain and torture and humiliation. Jesus is left as this naked, bleeding loser on the cross. His teachings forgotten, abandoned by everyone who praised him days ago. There's death, and then there's rebirth. And that's what we're here for, metaphorical or otherwise. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We want to know what you guys think. We are 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Let me go to Sean and Callie. Hi, Sean. Thanks for your patience. Hey, brother. You know, what a wonderful opening. Um, you know, uh, number one, I, I'm just like, you know, you, you hit it on the nose. Don't think of an elephant. 
the one thing Republicans, they, they used to be all on the same page with this uh, public relations firm thing about the right things to do and say and the things they could keep under the radar. And nope, that's no longer. Now it's just straight up racism, straight up white nationalism, straight up fascism, straight up just discriminate on anybody. And you are so right. They just put the most, the two biggest heroes now, and they happen to be black, on the radar to be the most amazing leaders going into the future in Tennessee. And thank goodness, uh, you know, even though it's such a horrible time, you know, and such a ridiculous thing that they're doing, um, because, you know, you know, we'll be back soon, you'll see. We'll be back to the Confederacy. We'll oh, God, be back. No. Time will tell if we don't win elections, this country will go to hell. So I'm telling you, man, we just need to keep winning. We need to keep putting the pressure on. You're doing it. Um, Thank you. And I'll tell you what, I mean, the, it's the vast majority of this country believes in everything that we're talking about, the normal patriotic Americans. And it happens to be you've got to vote for the Democratic Party. It's not, sadly, it's not my system that I would have in a perfect world, but this is the team we got to play with, and this is how it rolls, and then mm. that way we make progress. And Sean, so, thank you so um, much. I, I really appreciate thanks, the call, brother. and I, I wish yeah. you a great weekend. Thank you. Let me let me get one more call in before our next break, if I may. Uh, Cal in Kansas, thanks for waiting on hold. Hi, John. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? You know what? I blame Democrats. Mm-hmm. I blame Republicans. You're mm-hmm. all the same. For what? What do you blame? Your for what? Way, it's either your way or no way. You Give me an example. What are we, who are we talking about? Okay, let's take abortion rights for an example. Sure. Okay, you want abortion at any week. What? Who told you that? It's been in the news, John. Come on. Wait a second. Are you talking about the me, point, what I personally want? The biggest point. No, 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 no. You might be talking about, talking about me. Democrats on whole. Even okay. had a Democrat on earlier that said... I don't know any. I don't. By the way, I don't. I've never met a Democrat who supports a third term abortion unless the woman's a, a third trimester abortion unless the woman's life is in danger. Had a person on the show on Dean Abadala's show. Okay, well that wasn't me. That was Dean Abadala's show. Okay. Right. What I support is what I support is Cal. Respectfully, I support men like you and me not getting to make that choice for a woman. But go ahead. I'm a pro-choice or pro-life, to be honest with you. But I understand. Trust me, we could tell that there are some cases where a woman needs to have an abortion for whatever reason. So I'm willing to compromise up to a point. Make a 24-week limit. I can go along with that. Right. I don't think you and I get a say in it, Cal. With respect, I I, I don't think it's any of our business. It's between a woman, her doctor, and God. Go ahead. I'm listening. all missing what this country was originally founded on. It's compromise. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree with that. Democrats aren't talking to the Republicans. The Republicans aren't talking to the Democrats. (laughs) <laughs> and until we all get together and say, you know what, we got to do what's best for the majority of the people. I completely agree, but it would, but but the Republican Party has preached against compromise since Newt Gingrich in 1994. It's seen as weakness. All the Democrats do is compromise, and it's why liberals hate and, Democrats no, so much. All the you know Democrats what, John, do is want to get in everybody's pocket. In, okay, in Cal, of, so give me an example of where Democrats, give me an example of where, Cal, I'm sorry, Chris, but Cal, with respect, give me an example of one topic where Republicans have come to the table looking to negotiate in good faith and Democrats won't compromise. Just one. Transgender children. Transgender children. 
How do Republicans, how are they coming to the table in good faith? Democrats want us to acknowledge that a child should have the right to decide their gender. Which Democrats feel this way? I don't know all Democrats do that, Cal. I know some do. Liberals do. A lot of Democrats are moderate and they don't. I know a lot of Democrats who are creeped out by this issue. Okay, let's verify something. I'm talking about the far left. (laughs) You're talking about Democrats. Okay, I'm saying to you, give me one example, Cal, one example of where the Republicans are coming to the table to negotiate in good faith and Democrats are refusing the compromise. Give me one example, one area. Trying to come come to an agreement on the debt ceiling. The Republicans are the ones in good faith? They're the ones threatening to shut down the government. I think you chose the worst possible subject you could choose. Biden already said he will not compromise on that. Do you understand that under Ronald Reagan, we raised the debt ceiling... 18 times under Reagan, seven times under George W. Bush. Hang on. We raised the debt ceiling three times under Donald Trump. Republicans shut the government down over the debt ceiling under Barack Obama, and they're threatening to do it now. You're saying the Democrats are the ones? The Republicans are the ones who shut down the government. Again, 18 times under Reagan, seven times under Bush, three times under Trump. During Trump, I was doing a hell of a lot better than what I've done so far. You're changing the subject. I'm glad your 401k did well under Trump. Trump rode Barack Obama's recovery for four years eating Big Macs. There's no policy he did that that. changed anything. You're saying that Democrats don't compromise. I'm asking you to give me the area. And you chose the one area where the Republican Party are willing to have veterans not get their checks. I have not heard any any Republican say that. Not one. That they're not willing to shut down the government over the debt ceiling? Let me direct you I'm to someone bet. named Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene. They've done it, but Ted Cruz did it. They're willing to do it again, they are my the friend. Far right. They are the far right. Okay, but no <laughs> I'll play Cal. I'm playing on your terms, bro. Brother, I'm playing on your terms. You said they won't compromise. I say you're right. I'm asking you to give me one area where it's the Democrats not yielding, and you're, you're giving me the area where you the Democrats run. always you yield. Run. When did I the Democrats run. shut down the government? When have they curbed their goddamn spending? When? Well, the only presidents to reduce the deficit in the last 40 years have been Democrats. They haven't done it so far. Uh, Barack Obama did it, and Bill Clinton did it, and Joe Biden's Barack doing Obama it. Obama did not. That was just... Yes. Word, Obamacare alone shaved over 126... My friend, listen, I know you hate these people, but you can Google it. Don't believe me. I'm just a guy on the I radio. Google it yourself. Obamacare shaved over $126 billion off our deficit. The Republicans give you... The Republicans talk about fiscal responsibility, but you know, of all of our debt, do you know how much of it came from Donald Trump? Of all the debt America's accrued in 147 years, you know how much came from Donald Trump? A quarter of it. They sell you this line, Cal. Don't listen to their words. Look at how they legislate. What's that? How much is Biden added to it? How much is Biden added to it? Again, he's added to it. They all added to it. But Biden has been reducing the deficit. And, I mean, the infrastructure plan alone is going to save us money long term. So I, I can't agree with you. I can't agree with you this time. I will agree with you on the need for compromise, but I, I, I can't agree with you that the Republicans are the ones trying to do it. With right, respect. We'll agree to disagree. How's that? All right. I got to run. But listen, you have a great weekend. Call back and let's have a friendly hey, fight you. again next week. All right. Peace. We're going to take a quick one. We'll be right back with the great Professor Corey Schneider. This is Progress. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We are so lucky to have Professor Corey Brettschneider who graces the poli-sci department at Brown University, join us every Thursday. And since the 2016 election, he's written killer political analysis at the New York Times, Politico, and Time by his book, The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. It's been a very busy week. Let's get right to it with Professor Corey Brechneider. Hello, sir. Uh, hi, John. Uh, happy arraignment week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Are you are you tired of talking about uh, the Trump arraignment yet? Because I'm I'm still not. It's it's like yeah, no, no still way. I mean, very historically important, you know, very leaky. Yeah, it's fascinating and, uh, and kind of kind of kind of delightful too. Uh, what was what yeah. were your immediate takeaways from the the circus uh, of information we took in? You know, I I'm reassured in a lot of ways, and I can talk about why the reaction's been mixed. And there have been a lot of pundits and law professors saying that this is a disappointment or that he can't make the case. And I, I'm happy to explain what those arguments are. But to me, although I would have liked a little more detail, what I thought was compelling was the narrative. You know, it isn't just the story of Stormy Daniels. As they put it, it's a scheme, an overall. Uh, they short, stop short of saying conspiracy, but it really is a, a conspiracy to, yeah. um, you know, methodologically try to shut down all this embarrassing information after the Access Hollywood tape. So, so it isn't that sort of one-off quality where we're just looking at this one person, Stormy Daniels. We're seeing how he is really engaged in what he always does as a businessman, which is, uh, you know, committing pretty sophisticated frauds and thinking that he's going to get away with it. And here they put the pen in his balloon and, and let out all the hot air. And, and we see, you know, just yeah. laid out before us how detailed this is. So, so yeah, I thought it was very compelling. I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, it just there there were so many areas where there was just seem, seemingly such a level of privilege that he really mm -hmm. thought he could write off the payment, like not right. just commit the fraud, but then write it off on his taxes. It just seems right. like <laughs> they were they had such a level of insulation from any kind of scrutiny or oversight in that right. office. But I, I got to ask you, because I've been fascinated by Alvin Bragg's play here and what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. And w what I keep coming back to is... Um, you know, the crime of violating federal campaign finance laws, which we're all talking about, I keep having to remind myself that's not in Alvin Bragg's power to prosecute as a DA. What he's doing is he's 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 trying to prove that Trump was trying to conceal crimes that he's not been charged with and crimes that aren't named in the indictment. And that, to me, is the most fascinating, risky part of all of this, that he's not charging Trump for the crimes He's charging right. Trump for trying to cover up the crimes that he's not being charged for. Right. I mean, and we could get specific, and then we have a little more information. We started talking about this 
last week. The, the specific crime is falsification of the business records, which could be a misdemeanor, in which case, what are we doing this for or talking about it? But mm-hmm. it arises to a felony when it is done in order to conceal or further uh, a felony, <laughs> a <That's> second <laughs> crime, in other words. And so that's how how campaign finance laws at the state and possibly federal level get in here, because why was he doing all this? What was he hiding? And it looks like he was hiding the information to get around all sorts of limits on contributions and requirements of disclosure that you have in campaign finance laws. So that's a felony. If you if the reason why you're um, falsifying these business records is to basically try to hide the fact that you committed a crime and to aid yourself in the commission of that crime, uh, then that you go to jail for uh, you know a serious amount of time. It, it is a minor felony, and and that's why you're absolutely right in that distinction. It's not that he's directly charging campaign finance violations, but it's certainly related in that the falsification of the business records is connected either to that or maybe in addition to uh, tax fraud. That's uh, so he's not trying him for tax fraud, not trying him right or. For, um, for the, covering up um, tax fraud, finance, but but he's trying him for falsifying the records in order to further tax fraud, further campaign finance uh, violations, uh, hide the fact that he's doing that, and that that is a felony under New York but, law. So this is why some people though are saying that this thing should be in federal court, not a state court. That that's one argument, and I think it's a little confused for the reasons that we were just laying out that. You know, there's an argument that if he was just simply saying this is a violation of federal law, that that would belong in federal court, Um, although there's an argument about the extent to which he could have done that. But that's not what he's doing. He's he's charging a New York law, and the federal law is only connected in a secondary way at best. And, by the way, you can avoid all of those problems by just pointing to the state law or the tax violations. So I think that's a very overblown thought that... Mm somehow belongs in federal court. And, um, you know, I I don't see this uh, being tossed because uh, New York law is written in a way that, by the way, doesn't specify state or federal law. It just says you can't conceal uh, or, you know, further a a further crime. And and Mm. the, the words federal or state aren't in there. And when you look at the statute and the language that's being used, it's it's, I think, deliberately broad. Uh, so absolutely, the fact that he's covering up uh, federal law, uh, federal campaign finance violations uh, could be relevant to this case. And certainly the state violations and certainly the state tax, uh, the, the tax issues here, I think, also could be relevant. Can I ask another dumb question, Professor? Because no, I mean, I feel like this is high level. It's frankly better than what I'm seeing from many of my colleagues. <laughs> well, you know what we just well, well, thank you for that. Your, your colleagues don't want to call the, the segment barely legal, but I do. Um, <laughs> I, I always embarrass Corey because I want to call this segment that, and he's, he has dignity. But, you know, I think we're all about to have a real, a real civics lesson in, in catch-and-kill schemes. Uh, and right. We're all going to learn a lot about how the right. National Enquirer keeps things going, but keeping in that whole notion of what is being prosecuted and what's not. Uh, you know, obviously, these these indictments allege that the catch and kill schemes for Stormy Daniels, Karen McDougal, and then a name we haven't heard in a few years, Dino Sajidin, the former Trump Tower doorman identified in The New Yorker who got 30 grand from AMI 
for the exclusive rights to his story about a child that Donald Trump allegedly fathered out of wedlock with a maid in Trump Tower. Now, again, we all like the thought that somewhere out there there's a Trump child running around that Trump loves less than Eric. But um, the, the reality is that a lot of credible sources have said, you know, Dino's not a credible source and that there might not actually be a love child. And this really is an example of a, a fabulous who likes to shoot off his mouth trying to make a buck smearing Donald Trump. So keeping with the whole irony of all of this, prosecuting Trump for cover-ups, but not the actual crime, can Alvin Bragg indict him for trying to cover up the story about a love child if there really Absolutely. wasn't a love Absolutely. child and the I guy mean, was real the guy's really yeah. lying but yep. Trump can still be guilty yeah I mean you know it's the Trump in this one of these three instances might have been the victim of an injustice but if you're the victim of injustice you can't then <laughs> go out and commit a crime I wouldn't go that far uh, professor <laughs> to, to respond <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's an injustice but something that's you know, not true or a false allegation, but you can't then respond to that with a crime. And I think that's the idea. I also think that the the uh, doorman story matters not in itself, but as part of this overall scheme that they're trying to show. Please. And, you know, this is all connected to the way the Trump organization does business, which is, you know, the business of fraud, fraud, fraud. And so it's just painting a picture, I think, along with, uh, Stormy Daniels and um, uh, uh, the, the the third instance of of um, the, the catch and kill and showing this pattern and so that that's what really matters here rather than specifics of whether the doorman story is true. No, it's worth pointing out that Tuesday might not even be the worst day of Donald Trump's week because. <laughs> We're 18 days away from the 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 rape and slander trial that right. Eugene Carroll is is uh, levying, but also now um, we a federal appeals court just denied an emergency request from Trump's legal team to block Mark Meadows from testifying. But tomorrow we know that not only is Jack Smith taking testimony before a grand jury from Trump's former Secret Service agents about the Mar-a-Lago documents case, but Donald Trump's own defense lawyer Evan Corcoran is being hauled before the grand jury. A, a judge found that Trump likely used Corcoran in furtherance of a crime. So we've just seen something that seems kind of rare. Attorney-client privilege goes out the window. How, how common is this? I mean, how bad do you have to screw up to have, make a judge force your defense lawyer to go talk to the grand jury? <laughs> uh, yes, you have to screw up pretty badly. Um, and, you know, here it looks like the um, the the decision was that that you know there are exceptions to to the privilege and if you're involved in the commission of a crime or um, you know the the whether you're either active participant or the client makes you a part of the crime uh, that privilege goes away and that's I think what's what's happened here that he tried to really involve his lawyers as he often does I mean look at Mike, Michael Cohen there's a, a pattern here mm-hmm. with the other case. Uh, in in a criminal scheme, and you know that's his mo. He just does that over and over again. The lawyers are just tools in this wide assault on the legal system that has well, been his life, really. You know what? After listening to Rudy Giuliani and 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 uh, Takapina, yeah. and I, I will agree with you that Trump's lawyers are tools. Um, <laughs> the other thing about Jack Smith, though, is the crimes that he's investigating are not like Alvin Bragg uh, in previous decades of, of what he did with porn stars. These crimes are recent, oh, yeah. and there's no ambiguity 
about how Trump may have obstructed justice when the government was trying to get their top secret records back. I mean, they've got Trump's own valet testifying that Trump ordered him to move boxes and there's surveillance footage backing that up. Yeah, and let's not forget the underlying crime. You know, in all ways, the Jack Smith case, the the records case is more serious than the Bragg case. Not to say the Bragg case isn't serious, it's a minor felony, but it's the Espionage Act. That's what we're looking into, what uh, Smith is looking into uh, in that that federal case. And, you know, there's another similarity, which is we, we have a little bit of these two cases, uh, but we don't have all the testimony. We don't know what's on tape, what Michael Cohen handed over in the uh, Manhattan DA case that we haven't seen. The, the What I imagine is just graphic, explicit testimony about attempts to subvert the law. And the same is true here, too. We don't, we don't know the details. I mean, was it an, uh, an attempt to sell uh, documents to a foreign country was it yep. you know grotesque obstruction of justice uh, and so I think you know we keep using our uh, favorite person's refrain of the best is yet to come <laughs> I think that's true <laughs> in both cases well then let me shift it really quickly to the side for a second because as you know uh, members of Congress today are finally demanding investigations into these allegations of corruption of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. We've just found out this incredible investigation shows he was accepting luxury vacations from a Republican mega donor for more than 20 years. I mean, Indonesia, New Zealand, on board his super yacht, private jet trips, annual summer trips to his Adirondack resort, the the amount of perks this guy got, the the funding of a statue of his eighth grade teacher. I mean, huge amounts of cash pouring into Clarence Thomas's pocket from another Republican gazillionaire. I mean, it certainly seems like when these trips are left out of disclosure forms that it violates some kind of law requiring justices to disclose <laughs> gifts they receive, maybe? I, I Certainly it's the, uh, the most major ethical breach that I've heard from a Supreme Court justice, maybe going back to Samuel Chase, who basically was trying to destroy the opposition party and, you know, the most partisan justice in history, it's, uh, you know, just egregious, but it's also a system uh, that protects and rewards even that behavior because the Supreme Court has not subjected itself to the strict ethics rules that lower court justice judges are subject to. And this guy is just running right through a huge loophole and uh, taking gift after gift, even though he's not supposed to. Now, um, you know, there are supposed to be limits, even though they're not subject to the formal ethics rules. Uh, there are supposed to be principles that guide these justices. And, uh, you know, he's just run roughshod uh, over them with somebody whose interests are continually before the court. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it turns out he's extremely cheap, too, because I don't know if you saw this detail, but he gave as a tip to uh, one of the staffers on this yacht uh, after like over a week of travel. Uh, a signed copy of uh, his book. That was his thank you. Uh, I mean, you know, a justice's lifestyle being subsidized by rich people is kind of horrifying until you think about who paid off Brett Kavanaugh's country club and credit card right. debt. But I mean, no you know, Mr. Crow, the, the gazillionaire, has said, look, there's nothing wrong here. I've been friends with Clarence Thomas and his wife for 30 years. He said it's no different from the hospitality we've given to our many other dear friends. Uh, we, Clarence Thomas has always been really hardcore right wing. So, you know, maybe there's nothing fishy about it, is there? Or or is the very fact that Clarence Thomas chose not to 
report most of these gifts. I mean, we really don't have any kind of system of oversight over our Supreme Court justices. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And there's an easy, clear system that should apply to them. And that's the system that applies to lower court judges. That's why when judges, uh, you know, make reservations, they don't identify themselves as a judge at a restaurant. That's why they don't take uh, gifts and large amounts of money from people whose interests are before their courts. And uh, why should the rules be any different for the highest court in the nation? I, I think it's just pure abuse that if you uh, are a judge, you're supposed to be neutral, not swayed by partisan considerations, and certainly not by money. That's the number one uh, principle of the rule mm-hmm. of law. And uh, that's what we've got to just make clear. There has to be legislation to make this behavior, I think, not just ban, but, but, but criminal and, uh, you know, enforce it. In other words, we have to wait and see if Democrats are going to have hearings. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Brett Schneider, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. I want to wish happy holidays to your, your family. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and uh, keep up with all your work? Uh, you could buy a copy of uh, The Oath and the Office and follow me on uh, com and even on the Twitter at BrettSchneiderC. Right on. Corey, have a great weekend. Thank you so much. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Serious XM Progress. I'm Fugel saying some of y'all been on hold for a very long time. Let's start fixing that right now. Uh, hello to Brent in Arizona. Hi, Brent. Thanks for your patience on hold. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, you. I'm a vet, and one of the things you. you learn at, when you go to like West Point, oh, you're welcome. It's not. Uh, when you go to like West Point or War College, you have to dehumanize your enemy mm-hmm. to go to war. It's just the fact that you have to do. I mean, if you look at what we did with the Japanese in World War II or the Germans or the Germans, how they did portrayed the Jews, you know, things like that, you have to dehumanize them. And yes. if you look around, that's what a lot of people on the right are doing, especially Donald Trump. You know, he talks about, you know, Bragg being an animal. And, and Always. Look at, look at how they use the, they use the same... They use the same language of the yeah. Nazis describing immigrants, an infestation. Like they, they literally go to Third Reich talking points. Yeah. You have to make people believe. That's why you, you can't call the folks at our southern border Christian refugees. You've got to call them illegals. You have to find words to make them less than human. You've got to make them less than because if you make them less than, it's okay to cause violence and hurt them. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. And then if You're you right. look at it, you also have other people that are promoting violence or, mm-hmm. you know, like want to buy their gun or not get rid of their guns. And 
you know, there's a couple people like Graham, you know, he's high-ranking military officer. DeSantis is a ranking military officer. Yep. And then you have Michael Flynn, who is the biggest fanboy of all for Donald Trump. You know, know. He knows what it's like to dehumanize the enemy, so it's okay to back the blue and tell there's a coup, right? And then yeah. you can hurt them because they're traitors on the front that's line. It. That's and it. it. And, it's, and we're creating an environment that's really, really bad and scary that when they look back on history, there's something that, like, very, very similar that's happened every time violence has occurred. Every time, it's consistently, and it's what it's what authoritarian regimes do. And they, the, how do you make exactly. decent people do indecent crimes? You make them think that what they're doing is okay because the people they're committing crimes against are less than human. You can do it with Jews. You, you can do it with other religious minorities. You can exactly right transgender yep. people. It's like Jesus is so consistent about how we treat the least of us, but people always forget it. And so now, now, now it's the time for all trans people to be scapegoated. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You know, I got to say, That's the U.S. military to me is one of the heroes of diversity in our society. Uh, they're one of the heroes of affirmative action. The military keeps on filing, you know, countersuits with, with affirmative action cases. And the U.S. military banning Confederate gear last year, like, they've really come a long way. Renaming these Confederate bases, it's so positive, And it's such a sign that our military, people would call it woke out of hatred, but it's really morality to me. Well, and it, you know, it wasn't, um, it didn't come easy. None of it happened overnight. You know, I was stationed at Fort Bragg, and in all honesty, I had no idea who it had been named after. And if I had known at the time, you know, it would have been really, really upsetting. And a bunch of my buddies that were minorities, yeah, they would have been livid, you know. And yeah. it's embarrassing when, you know, we have people overseas that look up to us and then they realize, we're not always being the best of us. You're right. There's a lot of people who lean towards being the worst of us. Mm. It's just so frustrating because none of that work came, you know, it wasn't easy. It was work. Yeah, but this is what they do. We talked about this last night. This is it's called DARVO. What they do. It's, it's deny attack, reverse victim and offender. Right. So that when, when called out, the abuser denies any responsibility, then attacks the victim. And then the abuser claims that they're the true victim of the situation. So and it's always like a powerless minority that is uh, that. And, and they've got to sell this. This is how fascists get a toehold. They'll they'll convince ordinary people that this tiny minority with no power is somehow a threat to you. Illegal immigrants, trans people, you know, and once you believe that, then. They'll scare you and scare you and tell you that only I can protect you. And that's how every fascist in history has done it. It's just just like when, when Trump was, you know, as, as the president, looked very similar to Mussolini's Italy and early Nazi Germany. Yep. It's very similar on paper. Amen. It just took away the country. So you couldn't tell the difference. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for the call, Brent. Really appreciate it. And thank you again for your service. Don't be a stranger. Thanks. Thank you. Let me go quickly before the break to Riley in Montana. Riley, thanks for waiting on hold. Hello. Yep. Can you hear me okay? Sure can. Hi. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Um, Hi. Yeah. Anyway, I got a joke for you. Okay. What does Arnold Schwarzenegger and Donald Trump have in common? What? They're both made men. They're both made men. How? And what, in what sense? Cosa Nostra made men or is, am I missing a joke? I okay. I get it. I get it. Now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I, I get a I get a campaign song for Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I'd like to hear. 
I'd love to hear it. I'd love like to the, get the joke too, but go ahead. I'm, I'm going to kind of do my Ron voice. It's kind of almost like a Gary Shandling voice. Like, yeah, that's like Ron. Ron's kind of got that. Yeah, go ahead. And I would like your vote. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I will fight the woke. I'll fight the woke all night and day and persecute you if you're gay. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I would like your vote. And remember, a vote for me is a vote for white supremacy. Wow. It's kind of eerie. It's like he's right here protecting me from trans kids who want is to play he, sports. Uh, is, he runs, is he Ron DeSantis running for president of the United States or the Lollipop Guild? Oh, he's running for president. <laughs> but he's tall enough to run for president of the Lollipop Guild. Um, I, I want to share something very sad, though, that's uh, happened in Montana. Okay. As of yesterday, before you see, as far as I knew, we hadn't had any school shootings. And uh, as of yesterday in Missoula, we had uh, two uh, young boys were shot. Oh, and the no. weapon of choice was a handgun. They were, nobody's killed, but they were injured. And so, I mean, I used to be proud to say, yeah, we have all these guns in Montana, no school shootings, and now... Uh, can't say that anymore. No. Nope. I'm really sorry to hear that, but I really appreciate your call, Riley, and I appreciate your joke about uh, about Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, my favorite thing about Schwarzenegger and Trump is that Arnold Schwarzenegger replaced Trump as the host of, of Celebrity Apprentice. Like, remember that? Yeah, all this time Trump was saying is that immigrants are going to replace us at our jobs, and boy, I, he, he was right. Yeah. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you. See, I think Chris, what he was go ahead. getting at, John. Explain it to me uh, like a five-year-old, please. I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Shiny Arnold things confuse me. Arnold Schwarzenegger had a love child with his housekeeper. Okay. His maid. He's a maid man. Oh, maid man. Ah, double entendre. I, sorry, I missed that day of comedy traffic school. But yeah, you're exactly right. Now, now I get it. Maid man. Oh, you deserve better, folks. Again, Donald Trump is only allegedly a maid man as well.